Welcome in, everybody. This is Matt DeMarinas and Megan Ballinger here bringing you another weekend wrap-up podcast for the Creighton Volleyball. Um, lots to go over from this weekend. Finally, a home weekend for Creighton. The Road Warriors were back in Omaha, so uh, they got to the, play some home matches at DJ Sokol Arena. Uh, they played DePaul on Friday, um, won that one in straight sets, although not it's kind of funny. They won that one in straight sets, and then they beat Marquette, their Big East rival, in four sets. And I, I feel like I was more impressed with the performance against Marquette, even though that was the more difficult of the two um, on paper. And so, But I guess let's start with the DePaul one and just go in order there uh, because there's probably more to dissect big picture from the Marquette one. Um, so, I, yeah, Megan, I'll let you tee off the – analysis first of the DePaul match uh, you know Creighton won that one straight sets 25-20 in set one and then sets two and three were 25-23 um Nora Sis led the way with 13 kills Jayla Zimmerman had 12 uh Keely Davis had eight um on 353 hitting and they held DePaul to 104 a 104 attack percentage so I guess what did you feel like what did you take away from that match um uh, a pretty competitive one given DePaul's uh, history. It feels like they're kind of on a good trajectory there considering how, uh, how close that match actually was. Yeah. I thought DePaul actually looked probably the best I've seen, you know, since I finished up playing there and since I had played there my whole career. Um, so I thought DePaul actually kind of brought it to Creighton and I hadn't really seen that. Um, so much in recent years. Um, but yeah, from Creighton's standpoint, I thought they just kind of started pretty slow and mm. almost every set and were kind of playing catch up and, um, you know, had the capability to come back and play from behind. But I mean, that's never really what you want um, when you're in that situation. Um, but I also thought at times they were a little bit high error. Um, yeah. And just especially from the service line, I just thought it could have been a little bit cleaner. So just some things, you know, maybe you didn't have to play perfect to beat DePaul, but I mean, they have to hold themselves to that high standard and um, put their best out every single time. So I thought, you know, sometimes it wasn't super consistent. So I'm sure the coaching staff went back and kind of looked at areas that they needed to clean up and just to play an overall, like more consistent match. Yeah. You mentioned the high errors, right? So Creighton had 16 attack errors. And DePaul only had four blocks, so that that's 12 kind of unforced errors, if you will, where you don't um, – you feel like Creighton's just missing shots as opposed to uh, hitting into the block and dealing with that. And I felt like, you know, it was interesting. It was it's interesting because I thought Creighton was better out of system than they were in system. I thought there were a lot of opportunities in one-on-ones – um, on the, in that Friday night match that Creighton didn't put the ball down or just missed the line, um, you know, with an Aaron shot went long or just didn't execute that. Uh, did you, did you see some of that? Like where Creighton um, had maybe better execution on the higher degree of difficulty shots, as opposed to the ones where, you know, Kendra gave them a good matchup and they just didn't execute it. Yeah, I did think there were times that, you know, you see that one-on-one block and you're like, okay, this is a kill, you know, it's just your first initial thought when you see just kind of the gap in the block. But yeah, there were sometimes they didn't terminate on things I really thought that they normally would. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a little bit unusual. And then like you said, yeah, when they're out of system and 
um, kind of just into the flow of things. There were times I thought they were a little bit more terminal um, in those situations, um, which is a little bit like more uncommon, you know, um, but it was good to see them be able to terminate out of system. But I mean, you just want to be on it, you know, when you're in system and you have those matchups and, you know, take, take the swing and get the kill when it's a little bit easier for you. I mean, those out of system balls, you usually have two blockers and their defense can set up pretty well. So um, I think they just need to take advantage of those times where they are in system and um, you know, the balls in front of them and they have a good look at everything. Do you separate the two? Like, do you say, okay, well, you know, it's good that Creighton can terminate some tough, uh, you know, terminate out some tough situations normal where it's not as high percentage, or do you feel like that's maybe, you know, too much of a, of a fickle um, situation in, t- in terms of just where the block is and where you're hitting that it's more of a concern that they didn't terminate as well in the, in the, in the one-on-one in-system matchups. I mean, yeah, from a coaching perspective, I think you're going to look more at like when you're in rhythm and you have a good pass and, you know, you have three attackers or two attackers um, that have their approach there and they have a one-on-one situation. You're hopeful um, that they're going to terminate, you know, and the probability just tells you that they will, right? right? If they don't have two blockers in front of them, I mean, but it's probably going to be a kill. Um but at the same time, I mean, you work on out-of-system swings in practice all the time as a pin hitter. Um, so that's something that is focused on a lot because, I mean, your outsides especially are going to be taking a lot of swings out of system just because of the way, you know, that volleyball is and the way that you have to transition and um, get a dig, especially against good teams that, I mean, you can have rallies against. So, I mean, it's I wouldn't say it's concerning. I would say it's just an interesting kind of way that the match was flipped from what it would normally be mm-hmm. so so the out of system part of it isn't as fluky in your opinion that's something that you can train to be good at terminating unconventional balls regardless of um where our defense is set up to, to stop you oh yeah i think so and i mean the outtakes especially i mean the majority of the balls go out to them um right because it's just the angle that it is and the way that yeah your setter or a second um, person can just put the ball in front of you. Um, So yeah, it's something that they work on and you have to be good at it if you're an outside because you're just throwing, you know, all kinds of balls and you just have to be able to do something with it and hopefully get a kill the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you, uh, I know we don't usually analyze the opponent a whole lot, but I'm just kind of curious to see um, the big East's, I don't know. Willingness to uh, rise to the occasion against the cream of the crop because it has been, you know, Creighton and Marquette have been carrying a heavy load in terms of just trying to build up respectability for the conference. Obviously, it's, you know, they want to be successful on their own, but I don't think they want year in, year out to have to deal with, you know, just having to get up for each other and then trying to navigate 18 other matches against teams that you know, would fall closer into the RPI killer range. Um, so from DePaul's standpoint, I, I, I just felt like the, the competitiveness of the match, I think DePaul did a lot of things that can translate from year to year. I, you know, it's one thing when there have been teams in this conference like Seton Hall, St. John's, Xavier, um, Villanova, Butler, where they've had some really talented offensive players. And that, that's kind of carried them a little bit. What I what I saw from DePaul a little bit was more of the 
from the serve and pass standpoint, like more foundational. Like I think that that's something that if they can hang their hat on that, like they can be consistent from year to year. Is that kind of what stood out to you a little bit in Friday's match uh, watching the blue demons or was it a physical thing with them? Yeah, no, I think you hit it um, right on the head. I think fundamentally they're doing a lot of things better than they were. Um, especially you can see it in serve and pass. I mean, if you know, you're not fundamentally sound, it's going to show in serve and pass. It's, right. It just is. And you're not going to be able to run your offense. And I thought some of the things they were able to do, um, like they ran their middles a little bit more, I think than I'd seen and just some other things that they were kind of able like to pump those middles, get more of an offensive flow going. I mean, that all comes from passing. Yeah. So I think just, you know, fundamentally, I thought their passing looked a lot better and they were able to stay in the system and keep those sets really close against Creighton. Yeah. I think this is what maybe I don't I have to look back, but I think year it's either year two or year three, depending on how you assess the COVID year of this new coaching staff. But I think there's some there just are some foundational things that were intriguing on Friday that I feel like can translate from year to year. Um, and I think it would be neat if like a you know someone other than the conventional uh, teams kind of rose up in the big East and, and presented some type of a challenge. Cause you know, there, it, there are opportunities for, I mean, their volleyball has an NIT now or basketball equivalent of the NIT. Uh, so there are opportunities for programs now more than just making the 64 team field and building up with, you know, a run here in the NCAA tournament or not. So I was really intrigued by DePaul on Friday and I, I'm curious to see how, how they continue to improve as a program because there, I think there's some things there that are, that are interesting. Um, let's transition to Marquette. So that's, that's, a, that's the fun one, right? Mm-hmm. The, I can't help, but there was just, there just, there was a little bit more pop today. Like I think the Jays were finally up for a big East match. It was apparent, um, you know, Nora Keeley and Jayla were, we're swinging harder. Like it just felt like the aggression, the focus was there. Like, I think Creighton used this as a resume builder match. And uh, you could tell from point one that, that they were, they were up for this one. Didn't you think so? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's not hard to get up for Marquette, especially just going back historically, some of the matches that Creighton and Marquette have played against each other. Um, so yeah, you just know that you're going to get a good match and Marquette's going to play hard. Creighton's going to play hard and, you know, hopefully Creighton comes down on top. When you, when you went through this as a player, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting series because Creighton and Marquette clearly have a, have put a gap between themselves and the rest of the conference, but there's also a considerable gap just in terms of results between Creighton and Marquette so the first year that that Creighton was in the Big East Marquette won two out of the three they won the Big East tournament title in Omaha but since 2014 started Creighton 17 and two against Marquette now so I mean that's a lopsided in terms as as lopsided in that series as it is with really anybody else in the league and it's a testament to Creighton's dominance but Marquette hasn't been you know, a pushover. It, it requires Creighton's best for them to be 17 and two against them. And I'm just curious what it's like for you as a player. Is it a different type of match or is it just like everybody else? Like, be honest. Um, 
So did I ever lose to Marquette? I get, literally can't remember. Good question. Let's find out. Do you have when do yes, you, have you when lost? Got beat you, lost them? you lost one time to them in 2017 at Marquette. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. Just, just once. <laughs> um, okay. Perfect. Just once. Just once. <laughs> um, and then you beat them the next two times that year, so it was you got the payback. Great. We love that. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about Marquette, but yeah, like you said, I mean, I guess you wouldn't really think to be quite the rivalry that, you know, I think maybe from a player perspective, they think about it like, um, just because of, yeah, the win and loss, you know, column and, mm-hmm. um, Creighton has come out on top more, but I don't know. It's just Marquette's a little feisty and Creighton just, you know, wants to, wants to beat them. I mean, Anytime that you're going head to head with somebody that's, you know, a contender for that number one spot in the conference. And the amount of times too that Creighton and Marquette like match up in the Big East tournament. I mean, just especially the time I was there and just, you know, historically, um, since they've been in the Big East, I think it's just a team that you just want to play your best against and you just you really want to beat them because I mean they're there and almost, you know, every year and you just I don't know. I can't explain it, but you just really want to beat them. The w- and the way it lines up too is the stakes are usually high when the two teams play. So it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. there will only be a game separating the two in the standings. So the the winner either gets the season series tiebreaker or it becomes a thing where there's all all of a sudden pressure to continue to perform the rest of the way um, when you don't get to play each other because the series is over. So this year because Creighton lost to St. John's Marquette was the league leader coming into this match. So while Marquette mm-hmm. has an opportunity here against Creighton to say like, this is the favorite prohibitive favorite every year we're chasing them. Marquette was the table setter coming into this match. So Creighton was actually chasing Marquette today. Um, what? And so, yeah, it just, it just creates a, a situation where, Although Creighton, again, is 16-2 and two going into this match today, it creates a situation where there's something for the Jays to take out of this match other than just holding serve as the, you know, dominant team in the Big East, right? It's just kind of funny how it's worked out that way, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, it's kind of like upholding that standard, right? I mean, Creighton's been so dominant. You don't want to be the first team at Creighton, you know, that doesn't – uphold that high standard and be first in the conference and win a conference title. So just things like that. I mean, that's just the expectation. And even though maybe it's not talked about as much, like within the circle of players or by the coaching staff, I mean, you know, you know what it is. It's like Marquette's yeah. in first place when we match up today, you know, you, you want to win and you want to be that number one team. Mm-hmm. First thing that stood out, I think is a difference between Friday and Sunday. And I'm curious, uh, if you can maybe dissect how that went down. So against DePaul, Nora Sis and Keely Davis um, hit 143 in transition. Um, They had eight kills, four errors, and got blocked twice on 28 swings. (laughs) Against Marquette, they hit 410 in transition. They had 21 kills, only five attack errors on 39 swings, like, what was the difference in transition for Creighton today? Uh, were the passes just sharper? Were they? Were they? Because again, I don't feel like Creighton. I feel like I feel like Creighton terminated out of system pretty well today. Again, like they did on, on Friday, but that's a three hundred point swing in transition. 
what stood out to you in that area alone that made such a big difference for Creighton uh, today on against Marquette? You know, I thought they had a really good parity, and I thought no matter kind of who they went to, they were able to get kills. I think, I mean, just looking at the numbers too, I mean, you look at Nora for the match hit 429, Keely yeah. hit 370, Jayla hit 240, Annika hit 556. Yeah. So just, you know, just good options, I think, for Kendra. And when they did get the ball, I thought they kind of, you know, did different things with it, right? They hit high hands, they hit cross, you know, they went down the line, they tipped it. Mm-hmm. I just thought they moved around their attacks really well and, and were aggressive, but also smart at the same time. Sure. The one thing that's about Kendra, and I'm curious to get your take on on what you saw from the offense today, was you saw Marquette go right after Norris in serve-receive. I think the first day, they aced her the mm-hmm. first time, she passed to zero the second time. Um and then she, and then the third, and then they went after her a third time. She nailed that one, which I think showed a lot of like Nora's resolve, right? Because as a freshman in a high stakes match, if you get aced and then you shank a pass on your first two opportunities, that's probably like you're probably playing head games with yourself at that point. But she nailed the next pass and got a, and Keely got a kill. And that started the 9 0 serving run from Keely. We'll talk about that in a second too. But in terms of Kendra distribu- Kendra's distribution today, Kendra Waite, I thought she did a really good job of not letting Marquette, who's normally a really good serving team, you know this too. Um, they're they're very disruptive. They they serve aggressively. Um, they're not very high error for an aggressive serving team either. So they are they are especially disruptive from the service line. And, and normally when you're, like, serving certain sides, like if you're serving Nora's side, right, you're trying to make Creighton's offense predictable, correct? You know, if you're serving, like, yeah. left side, you want them you want them attacking from that side, basically, and that way you can set up your block. So what I thought Kendra did a good job of, and this is maybe more of a credit to that, you know, you know, just her ability to move around the floor a lot, well, she didn't let the offense be predictable as much. Like, what did Marquette end up with for blocking? Only five blocks for Marquette, ace blocks. The touches, you know, I thought Creighton was going after high hands pretty well. But, again, I don't think Kendra was, like, making the offense easy to read today because even if Creighton would pass a one um, on the on the reception, I thought Kendra did a good job mixing up who she was going to and not letting Marquette serve dictate where the ball was going to go, didn't you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think a good example of that is, like, yeah, it's a one pass and maybe gets pushed all the way to, like, the left side towards the outside, yeah. and she'll reverse it and go to Jayla, you know, down on the pipe in the back row, mm-hmm. or she'll go to Nora. And I think, I mean, what would typically maybe go to your outside? Okay, you're swinging back and hitting the, the middle back and it's just a d- little bit of a different look and it does make it harder for Marquette's blockers. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I think Kendra also did a nice job of attacking. Like I just love to see mm-hmm. her throw it on the ball. And she, I think she did that really, really effectively. Um, and that just makes the blockers guess, you know, it's like, okay, my middle blocker needs to take care of the setter now because she's an offensive threat. Mm-hmm. And that maybe doesn't happen all the time. So I think that just opened up their offense really well and allowed their pins to get one-on-ones too at the same time. Yeah. With, with Kendra's uh, attacks, 
is there a number in mind that you'd like to see out of a setter in terms of aggression, or is it more just about the read? It's more just about the read, I think. And I think she's getting better too at seeing those blockers, like looking over, seeing where the block's at, um, and seeing kind of where her opening is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is the is a feel of it. And especially as you see like points go on, if there's a longer rally, I mean, it's a great time to dump usually because the blockers are releasing, you know, it's just, it's harder. I mean, if you've been running and transitioning back and forth and you're getting tired, so you're probably not, you know, stuck in there ready for her dump as much. So I think you'll see like good advantages for her, like as points go on too. And when she just kind of finds her moment and gets the feel for it and throws that dump over. You got me curious just talking about it. So I got to look it up real quick. But there was that match where Lydia was injured. And you set. You remember that one? Yep. Oh, yeah, I do. Let's see. I think it was Georgetown at home. Yeah, you guys like hit like 600. Too, so. Yeah, you hit 446 with, uh, with the 6-2 <laughs> with you and uh, uh, Sammy Bonet. Yeah. So you had eight kills on you were at you hit 333 with eight kills and 23 assists that day. So were you were you were you uh reading or were you just being an aggressive hitter at the same time? Because that's what you do anyway. Oh god, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I had about four days of setter training and they said yeah. you're gonna set in this match, and I said, Okay, great. Because <laughs> you had <laughs> set you had, you had set a little bit in high school, right? Is that what the origin of that was, or was it an AU? Where was your um, I yeah, I said about two matches in high school, but oh. I like literally never had any setter training. Oh, right. <laughs> well, the offense hummed along. Uh, yeah, oh, God. You guys hit four I don't know what Pearson so was thinking, but... can't really argue with it. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a good time. Georgetown didn't know what to expect because we didn't know really, you know, yeah, you were... <laughs> what we were doing. So, <laughs> you were no guessing what was going on. We you told were... the hitters, okay, sorry. Like every time I set a ball, I'm like, sorry, that's a little too high for you. Sorry, a little fast. My bad. <laughs> but it was good. It was fun. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. Um, okay, so set one against Marquette. They got off to the fast start. They got kind of Nora. Um, they attacked Nora early. Like I said, she nailed that pass on the third attempt, got Keely a kill on the right side, and then Keely goes behind the line and just peppers Marquette's left back. And then I hope, you know, Hannah Vandenberg is a key cog in Marquette's offense too. So she's, you know, that main left side along with Hope Wirch. And uh, she came into Sunday's match. She was averaging 1.89 kills per set on 207 hitting so you know not blow you away numbers but pretty good for a you know a left side that gets a lot of attacks um she hit zero she hit zero today on eight swings and ryan tice had no choice but to take her out early which i thought dealt like a huge blow because creighton i thought creighton serving took a lot of what marquette wanted to do because they just couldn't keep certain players on the floor because they were getting isolated and serve in from the service line and Keely just went after that left backs every time that they it was the same zone same serve same player when you've got when you're in a rhythm like that and you're just attacking the same spot what kind of a, a psychological um, blow is that dealing to your opponent when you're having that much success with the same play over and over again 
I mean, I think it's huge for, I mean, she's going at hitters too. So it's like that person has to pass and then swing out and hit. So if the passing's not going well, a lot of times for a lot of players, that'll kind of bleed into their attacking, you know? Mm. I think you saw that. And I mean, the poor girl hit zero. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just not her day. I mean, she's probably getting discouraged passing and attacking, you know, it's probably not going well, especially if they're out of system, those, you know, passes aren't up to target and the setter Mm -hmm. can have her options. So I think it's discouraging. And then you have to have to pull somebody out who normally is in there all the time. Um, Also just kind of gives a different look um, to Marquette and, you know, makes those Marquette players a little bit, maybe more uncomfortable, just not used to playing next to somebody quite as much um, in game situations. It gives Keeley some confidence too, I'd imagine, right? Because if if she's a really aggressive server, and so there can there's some kind of high risk, high reward with her behind the line. So if she's, you know, if she's making errors from behind the line, like you said, that might bleed into her the other facets of her game. But if she's on a roll like that from the service line, that probably enhances everything else, don't you think? Yeah, I think it does give you confidence. And especially, if, I mean, you can see maybe your opponent is getting discouraged or it's just really not going well for them. I think she goes back and she's like, all right, I'm going to keep hitting this ball really hard at this girl and mm-hmm. kind of seeing what she can do with it. Um, so, yeah, they go on a 9-0 run, too. I mean, that's a lot of points to string together. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that gave her a ton of confidence, not only serving, but just, you know, in her all-around game. She's had a few of these matches this year, too, where – you know, she's kind of taken and – I, and I know she's in a tough spot this year too because she's playing a position she hasn't played before. But I think she's really starting to take to it a little bit in terms of just – I don't know, whether it's confidence or whether it's her just getting comfortable with, with the with the details of what she has to do on a daily basis. But, you know, to hit 370 on 27 swings and, you know, to have the serving run that she did in the first set in terms of the tone it set in that match because, like I said – Early, it felt like Marquette had momentum because they were going after Nora deliberately. And that's one of Creighton's best offensive options. So it looked like, and, and it was hope worth serving too. So it was one of it was one of Marquette's main offensive options, the top offensive option, going after Creighton's top offensive option and having success. So you feel like if you're if it's best versus best and Marquette is winning that battle early. That's that's a big advantage in terms of how this match is going to play out for Marquette. But with Keeley, with with Nora, first of all, nailing that third pass after she had, had zeroed the first two, um, and then Keeley getting the kill to get her serve started from behind the line, and then going after one of Marquette's main attackers on the left side and getting her so on tilt that Marquette had to pull her out of the match that early. Like I said, Keeley might have won this thing in that first serving run, even though I know there's a lot of points and a lot of plays and a lot of moments, but just in terms of stealing that early momentum when, when it looked like it was going to be Marquette's back to Creighton, I feel like that's, that was a big moment in the match today because, you know, it it really flipped what Marquette's maybe plan a was going to be and turned it on its head a little bit. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that first set was just interesting, I thought, because, I mean, both teams hit well. Yeah. I mean, Crane hit 452 and Marquette hit 364. So as a coach, you're like, okay, great hitting percentage, right, for my, overall for my team mm-hmm. um, in this set. But, yeah, I think 
the serve and pass game, I think, is really what it came down to. And Keeley really sparked that run there and kind of gave Creighton the edge there in the serve and pass battle. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, game two was – it's, you know, volleyball is that funny sport, right? Because these this momentum doesn't – momentum never lasts too long for a team to get blown their doors blown off. Everything starts at 0-0 again. It's the – it's the beauty and the curse of the sport, right? So, you know, Creighton gets off to the 10-3 run, rides the Keeley Davis way from the service line. But the rest of the set was like, you know, kind of kind of even. So at that, so when you're analyzing it, you're like, all right, it feels like Creighton's in control, but if you actually, you know, zoom in a little bit, you see that Marquette's been playing even here for about the last 40 points which means they're settling in, right? Because they had been getting sideways a little bit early after, you know, what Keeley was doing in terms of disrupting them from the service line. And then the second set, I mean, it felt like Creighton was in control of it, but Marquette came back with that that 4-0 run at 23-23 or 23-19 when it looked like Creighton was kind of cruising to that 2-0 lead. They had to battle for that a little bit. Um and that's just kind of what you – I think that's – no matter what, when you watch Creighton and Marquette play, there's always that – there's always a set at least where it goes bonus points and then you have to dig deep to win it. So I guess the question here is what did uh, what did Creighton do to not let it get away from them? You know, we've seen this before where, where they don't – where they're at end game, they're maybe two points away and a team rallies and they kind of have to – you know, not let it, not let it get mental. Right. So when Marquette ties that back up and you're going match point, match point back and forth um, or set point, excuse me, back and forth. What did you see that Creighton did well at the very end to not let that one slip away and to get the 2-0 lead before intermission? You know, I thought they were just kind of sharp on serving pass, just yeah. the basics. I think, I, I just think, I mean, when it's crunch time and it's a two-point thing, and if you allow a a team to go on a, you know, a run more than two points, you might lose the match. So Mm -hmm. I think they just got really sharp, um, you know, in those last few points of the set, which is really good to see um, because, you know, it's going to come down to crunch time and, you know, later in the season um, where they're going to need to be really clean and be able to swing together a few points and um, to finish out a set or to finish finish out a match. So I thought that was really good to see. And I just thought, you know, they stayed aggressive, which was also mm-hmm. really good to see um, after they got those good passes and had opportunities on offense. Yeah. I think the, I think the lack of aggression was what let Marquette get back to it. Right. I think maybe Creighton mm-hmm. was like, all right, well, they're done. We can just take a swing here and put it away. And Marquette, you know, wasn't letting it be easy. So I think you're, you're, you're on point with, Creighton needing to be aggressive in, at end game to finish it off because Marquette wasn't going to lie down for them. But it is funny how just nailing the pass and staying in the system and taking a good aggressive hack will like right the ship for you. But that that's probably not that's probably easier said than done, I imagine, right? How do you how do you erase you know getting scored on so quickly, right? From point to point where you're like, all right, they got us here. It's even to even up, they're going back behind the line. Um, how do you nail that pass without thinking about what just happened? How tough is that? 
I mean, I think that's just volleyball. I mean, to be a good volleyball player, you have to have a short memory. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll hear people talk about it all the time, you know, hear coaches say, like, you just have to forget about it. And I'm sure, you know, the girls are coming into the huddle on the court and they're just saying, okay, like, next point. Because it really is. I mean, whatever you do in the next point, it's point by point. And no matter if you shanked three passes in a row, I mean, they're going to come back at you and you have to nail it. It's just kind of that swing of the game that makes it hard. I mean, you just really can't dwell on anything. You just one point at a time and you really can't remember, you know, if you hit a ball out or got blocked, you just have to keep going at it. Yeah. Marquette comes back out of the locker room, you know, gets back into the puts the pressure on Creighton to finish the match again with a 25-19 win in game three. And then set four was actually like kind of – set four was interesting because it was – it looked like Creighton was going to just blow them away. And then all of a sudden it was a two-point game. And then all of a sudden Creighton just blew them away again. Like it was kind of funny that way. But, I mean, game four was – it was no messing around from Creighton side of things. Like we're going to ride our studs all the way to the finish line here. And the studs were great. Like Nora in game, in game four, Nora had nine kills, no errors on 15 swings. Keely five kills, no errors on six swings. Jayla six kills, one error, 16 swings. So that's between the three main hitters. That's 514 hitting percentage. <laughs> I mean, no one's no, there are there's no one that's beating Creighton when that's going down. I don't care if it's Wisconsin or Nebraska or who, because that's that's the rhythm that that Creighton's just got too much parity offensively. And if they're in that good of a rhythm with all three of them, there's just no way. Because it, it means they're in system, it means they're getting good aggressive swings, it means their approach is on point, it means their connection with Kendra is good. There's so many things that are working in sync for them to be that effective. Right. But obviously like the nuts and bolts of it are a little bit different. Did what, what happened? Did it was did Creighton's passing just lock back in for game four after set three got away from them. Cause it just seemed like they came out of the, the huddle just with a different focus. Yeah. You know, I think set three kind of, you know, left a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, you know, they were up a little kind of big, I thought. And, kind of let Marquette back into it and then lost there. But, um, yeah, set four, I thought serve and pass was really clean. Um, Kendra and Nora both went on pretty long service runs, which was really great to see, um, just to have some different people um, go on runs um, in the game. And then, yeah, I just thought they were clean. Like you said, I mean, that hitting percentage, um, to have three of your main cogs hit that well in a set, I mean, no one's really going to stop you and – um, I just think they were taking really aggressive swings and really going all out. And you could just tell that they wanted to win the set in the match. Yeah. You mentioned the serve, the serving game again, it did feel like Creighton dominated that portion of it in set four. And again, you know, you said it when Creighton and Marquette play, there's a lot of talent on the floor. So physically, so physically it's a good matchup, but so it's all about who can serve and pass the best. And it just felt like game four wasn't really close in that regard. You know, Creighton came out and were they were really disruptive again from the service line. They were making Marquette's offense pretty predictable for the most part. In the middle part of it where Marquette got back into it, Taylor Wolf, who just shout out that kid, one of the best players in the country, honestly. I've never seen a setter. I know they run a 6-2, so she gets some swings, but just she can just put triple doubles together like it's nobody's business, and she can do it efficiently too. 
Um, she's special. So she got into a rhythm there, you know, midway through and cut that thing to two. Um, then it was just Jalen Nora Keeley not happening. Like they just nailed passes. They disrupted Marquette's offense, made it tough to made it tough for them to get rolling. And uh, and when they got swings, they put the ball down. Like I said, they weren't missing. They're one attack error between the three of them in 37 swings. That's 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 insane for outsides. You know what that's I mean? Crazy, when, you're, yeah. when you're that efficient, that's crazy. Um, you know, middles hit 500 and it's a special day. Like outsides hitting 500, that's just, that's insane. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, when they, when it was, when it was time to finish that thing, they finished it. Um, so yeah, that it moves Creighton to 17 and two, five and one, the big East, but um, it's the 400th win at Creighton for Kirsten Bernthal Booth and Angie Oxley Barons. They've been together since day one, playing matches at Omaha South High School. Like, honestly, Megan, you might have played in a better high school gym than Creighton played in when Kirsten and Angie first got to Creighton. I'm sure um, I did, actually. Like, like, seriously, no joke. 400 wins for those two together. Like, how, that, first of all, that's so rare because, you know, Angie's won assistant coach of the year. Like, that, it's just it's just a natural thing where it's like eventually you just go off and run your own program, right? But she hasn't left. She's still there, and her and Kirsten have been doing it together the whole way. Um, what's the coolest part when you just kind of look back on, you know, not only your playing days, which I imagine are pretty special because the the what you accomplished during those years is still unprecedented in terms of Creighton's history, but just like 400 wins from what they started with. It's hard for me to imagine how it started to get rolling, what, what comes to your mind when you think about it with those two? You know, I think it's just so special. Um, you know, I obviously didn't really know those early days and didn't really have Creighton on my radar um, mm-hmm. when they first got there. But, yeah, I just think it's incredible to see kind of where they've taken the program. I mean, just the heights that the program is compared to when they got there. Um, it's just a vast difference, you know, and something that, you know, those alums that came before, like me and the current players, um, you know, experienced and worked really hard to move the program forward. So I just think it's so special. And I mean, it's it's not surprising just knowing, you know, how well they work together um, and just those high standards that they hold for themselves and for their players. I think um, you just know you're going to be successful when you play under them, because I mean, that's just what they preach, right? They practice what they preach. and. Um, you know, it just, it seems to all work out, you know, it's just consistently they have great teams and great people, I think is, you know, the main thing that, especially Kirsten, she, she always says, she's like, I hire great people. So that's definitely mm-hmm. one of her strengths and she surrounds herself with people that'll make her better and make her players better. So it's just awesome. And hopefully she can get, you know, a couple hundred more. <laughs> more. Well, what's, what's, the, what was the, what drew you to Creighton? about those two in in particular and then what when you got here what did you learn about them once you started playing for those two man um let's see what was freshman me thinking in high school um so because volleyball players commit so early too that's the crazy thing about the sport too yeah yeah make those decisions early yeah it's insane i know i was like i was just a kid like what was i thinking um Man, I just thought it was a great 
program to be a part of. And I really thought it was going to go somewhere. Um, and I just thought too, the coaches, especially Kirsten and Angie, I mean, they had been there for so long. I think you want to play for somebody who has some continuity somewhere. So, um, obviously Kirsten was really well respected at Creighton and I had heard really great things about her, especially in just, um, the way that she cares for her players on and off the court. Um, that was something that was really important to me. So, um, you know, from that aspect, and then you have a great school, um, Omaha is a fun place to play, fun place to live. So, um, yeah, just, you know, the stars aligned and it all worked yeah. out. It's funny. I just started thinking about back to what, when you made, when you said you felt like it was going somewhere. I do remember talking to you and Jaylee Winters, your first day of practice as freshman. Um oh. You both talked about, like, you both said Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, like, national championships, all that stuff that really hadn't been uttered before. What what was it that about um, the program that you felt like it was going to start checking off some of those boxes? Was it just the competitiveness in you two, or was there something that um, you saw in the day-to-day when you were being recruited that you felt like Kirsten and Angie were were building that? I mean, I think you just kind of feel like – I feel like all the pieces are there, right? Like, I just felt like the talent level was there. I feel like we had great coaches. We had great facilities. I mean, we just had really great, like, support people around us especially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just those important things that I think championship teams have. Um, maybe things you don't even see on the court always. Um, so, I just felt like there was a lot of support, I mean, just around the community and on campus and – we kind of had everything we needed to get us to that level. And I knew that if we could win, um, you know, and get good recruits, because that's truly like the lifeblood of your program, yeah. um, you know, that we could just advance forward, hopefully, like as the years went on and, you know, as our careers progressed at Creighton. Were you the first one in that 2015 recruiting class? You were the first member of that, right? I was. I was the first one to commit and I actually committed the day before Jaylee went on her visit. To oh, really? Okay. All right. So I called her and I told her I had committed because we were teammates at the point in high school. Yeah. So I was like, I just committed. How fun on your visit? It's, and it's not, it's crazy. It's one of the more prophetic things I've seen from a player standpoint, because there was a part of me that's, you know, remembering that conversation as two just, wide-eyed freshmen who just think the world's at their fingertips and they're just going to go snatch it. But you went to a Sweet 16 in 2015, an Elite Eight the year after that. Um, and if BYU holds a 12-7 lead in set five against Texas, I mean, honestly, that matchup was there for the taking with, you know, for you guys to get Columbus too. Uh, and then you're hosting the next two years in the in at DJ Sokol Arena, which – hadn't even been a thought before the last two, the previous two years went the way they went. Then all of a sudden you're starting to think, you know, why can't we host this thing? Um, so it, it was one of the more thing like, wow, they just called their shot and then just made it happen. Huh? That just, that just went down like that. Uh, but yeah, it, I don't know with, the, with Kirsten and Angie, it's very, you know, like I said, it's one of those rare things that it's hard. It's hard not to appreciate everything about it because like I said, there's a uniqueness to, their their commitment to each other in Creighton because like I said there's not it's it'd be easy again it'd be easy for 
them to just like coach together for a couple of years, like whatever it is. And then think, all right, it's, you know, um, we've had some success. I kind of want to run my own program or, or in Kirsten's case, move to a bigger program, maybe, you know, try to, you know, lead a, a football football conference where you're getting paid big money and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but they've stayed at Creighton and they just keep winning. They keep raising the bar. It's just hard not to appreciate it. And then to see them do it together, it was really cool today. Cause you, you know, they've, like you said, I can't even imagine what it was like when they first started. I don't know if they had the type of confidence that you and Jaylee have when you first got to Creighton. Um, but they certainly have every right to be that confident now because they've, they've put together some things that, um, would lead them to believe in themselves on the national scale more than certainly more than the program they took over, which was a single digit win program. Um, hadn't even won a hundred matches in Creighton's history. Now they've won 400 together. It's just, it's wild to think about. Um, before we wrap this up, we got to give a shout out to uh, Kelly Browning. Um, I believe she was the third volleyball player in Creighton's history to be inducted into the Creighton hall of fame this weekend. Um, incredible middle blocker. Uh, you know, laid the foundation again for Megan and Jaylee and all the people who followed to kind of raise the bar even further. You know, she got to the, she was part of the first teams at Creighton to go to the NCAA tournament, um, to win NCAA tournament matches, to win conference titles. You know, they won the, she was part of the NBC uh, regular season and tournament title team. And then she was part of the first team at Creighton once they moved to the big East to win the big East regular season title and conference tournament to get that ball rolling that uh that Megan continue do you remember Kelly at all from your playing days did you guys interact and in, in when you were being recruited at all or did you just watch her from um the only at some like camps and stuff but yeah we didn't overlap at all like when we were there but yeah I do from some camps and things but yeah and just watching I guess as I was getting recruited when I was young <laughs> what were your impressions of Kelly as a player knowing that you know that's kind of the same position you were going to play in college yeah, I just thought, I mean, she was really talented, I think, especially blocking, like you mentioned, really stood out. I think she's probably, you know, the, the best blocker in Crane's history. Um, I didn't want to be the holds, one to say it with you. Still and, holds and, those yeah, records. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but, yeah, just super talented and, yeah, really set the foundation, I think, too, like from a leadership standpoint, um, just things that I, you know, heard about her in the group that she played with, I think. You know, they really did kind of get Crane to that point where, they were being a contender for NCAA, you know, tournament matches. So that like when my group got there, it wasn't a question. Right. So yeah. just cool to see the progression and kind of those standards get raised and things that they were striving for just became the expectation maybe for like when my group got there. Um, so it's just really cool to see the progression and just over the years, kind of, you know, how, it, how it all went down. Yeah. Um, we did get a couple of questions. I think I want to save them though, because they're not really uh, centered toward, uh, what happened this weekend so we can save those okay. um but yeah this was it was a it was a fun weekend from just having Creighton back at home after them being on the road so long because you do miss that volleyball environment right DJ Sokol Arena especially in a match where you know Creighton and Marquette are kind of like championship level teams that gym is popping when that stuff's going on so it was cool to see a high level match with a great crowd um and then, like I said, all the stuff that went around it with Kelly Brown and getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, with Kirsten and Angie winning their 400th match at, match at Creighton, um, and with just, again, some incredible volleyball on Sunday, some high-level stuff. We talked about the numbers. 
um, in terms of Creighton's execution um, and how they got that match done. So that was an overall pretty fun weekend. And uh, yeah, they go back on the road. Now they get to face UConn and Providence uh, Providence who former Blue Jays setter Madeline Cole is a graduate assistant for the Friars. They've been playing a lot better. And then UConn is, or was, I guess, before they lost to Georgetown um, on Friday or last night. Yeah, it was last night. Um, the league leader in the Big East. So Creighton will have something else to chase after um, next weekend when they face the uh, the Huskies and the Friars out East. Um, we appreciate, as always, everybody tuning in to listen to uh, our analysis of the weekend. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, – if you guys have any questions, we're going to start to entertain some of that a little bit. Megan's uh, really smart, knows the game really well. So don't be afraid to get too into the weeds. I'll just say it and she'll answer it. Great. So um, until next weekend, we will uh, hope everybody has a good week and thank you for tuning in.